Hello and welcome back to a discussion on 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos by Jordan B. Peterson. Today's video will be on rule number two. If you haven't seen the previous video on rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back, check that out. Rule number two states, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. So his first part of the discussion on this rule is he talks about how it's a statistical fact that most adults, when they're sick and prescribed medicine, they do not take the medicine as prescribed. They often skip doses or fail to fill refills. One of the more shocking examples he gives of this is recipients of organ transplants. When a person needs a transplanted organ, they go on a very long waiting list, waiting for a potential match for the organ that they are in need of. After receiving the surgery and getting the transplanted organ, they must immediately start an extensive repertoire of anti-rejection meds in order for their organ to be successfully taken in by their body. It's a quite common occurrence for patients to not take these anti-rejection meds and because of this, they end up losing the organ that they waited so long for. This is such a common occurrence that patients will not even qualify for an organ transplant surgery unless they have an, a support system in place, other people monitoring them to help make sure that they take the medicine as prescribed. And then the other point he brings up to really drive the point home is it sh uh, statistics show that when people bring their pets to a veterinarian and the veterinarian prescribes them medicine, they are much better at making sure their pet takes all their meds than they are at making sure they take all their own meds. So the question he proposes is, why do people love their pets more than they love themselves? Now, in order to answer this question to the best of his ability, he really takes a dive down the rabbit hole here. And so he starts off with his uh, pathway of reasoning and bringing up the fact that ancient people perceived the world much differently than we do today. Science came into existence about 500 years ago. With the advent of science, we started to view the world much differently. Our ideas of what is real and unreal are much different than the ideas that the people of the long distant past had on the same subject. With science came a much higher regard for the ob objective truth rather than an individual subjective experience. Now the problem with this high regard to the objective material realm is it stops taking the subjective experience of an individual all that seriously. When a person has a disease that can be measured objectively, everybody takes that very seriously. But when a person is suffering or going through emotional pain, which is a subjective experience, they can't catch a break. For it is usually written off as meaningless or trivial. But how untrue is that really?
how much more real can the, the suffering and the emotional pain that people experience on a day-to-day -day basis be? So then he dives in a way of looking at the world that the ancient people understood quite well, and that is dividing things into chaos and order. Chaos is the unexplored territory. It's the unknown and the ignorance, but it is also untapped potential and freedom, perhaps too much freedom. Whereas order is the explored territory or the known. Order is society as a whole, religion, country, home, it's the rituals we partake in and the traditions. It is the educational system. Now in today's day and age, we have converted a lot of chaos into order as we have habited the world as we know it. However, no, no matter how firmly rooted we are in order, chaos is underlying it all and can strike at any moment. Something like losing a job, or some sort of tragedy of losing a loved one or being betrayed by a friend or a lover can quickly put us in a state of chaos. Over millions of years of evolution have given our brains the ability to react to chaos type situations with ultra speed. He often refers to it as a serpent response. And so building Further along the lines of his argument here, he goes deeper into talking about how this subjective experience of the individual is way more useful than just the object of reality. And so the next example he uses is we tend to use uh, view the world and the objects within it as tools and obstacles. So we're not really paying much attention to the to our surroundings unless the they are affecting us in some way and so we are goal-driven people we are we tend to strive towards a certain goal and we our brain categorizes the things around us and tools that we can use to move towards our goals or obstacles that are in our way of achieving our goal that we have to overcome Another thing that has been brought about by the millions of years of evolution uh, of the human mind is a tendency to view things um, with a male or a female gender. And I'm not just talking about people, obviously. I, I'm talking about ideas. Ideas tend to have a personality of their own, and these personalities often are male and female. So in the case of chaos and order, the chaos would be the female personality, and order would be the male. This is the same as the yin and the yang, or the father god and mother nature. There's also been studies that have shown that these female and male personalities are actually able to be measured um, in the different hemispheres of the brain. When it comes to this idea of chaos and order, balance is key. If there's too much order and no chaos, then there is no growth whatsoever. 
And if there's too much chaos and no order, then we are completely unstable and life becomes chaotic. And so having established these points, he gets to the meat of, of this um, question that he's trying to answer of like, why do we love our pets more than we love ourselves? And so he goes way, way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, to the creation story of Adam and Eve. And so once again, the Garden of Eden, which Adam and Eve lived in, was perfect order. However, chaos was able to slip into the order in the form of the serpent. The serpent convinces Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve then runs back to Adam and convinces Adam to join her in this transgression. Oddly enough, their first reaction after eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil is they realize their own nakedness. Now here he explains the real significance of this. To be naked is to be vulnerable. It's to be shameful and fearful of being judged ugly. Furthermore, when God comes down to the garden and asks Adam, hey, did you eat that fruit? Adam immediately blames it on Eve and then even goes further and blames it on God for making Eve in the first place. Now, if we look at their reactions, it's very easy to see how this is relatable in the, in the present day. How often when something bad happens, people have a tendency to try to point the finger and blame somebody else and get resentful and bitter at the fact that they've been dealt a bad hand. And when you see this kind of behavior being exhibited everywhere, you very quickly can start to lose faith in humanity. Not only that, but who has more intimate knowledge of your shortcomings and your defects of character than you yourself? And so now we're starting to get this picture of why we don't take care of ourselves. Going even further on this point, he brings up the point that unlike animals who are natural predators, humans are self-aware. We have this capacity for evil that comes with this awareness. We understand our own vulnerability. Therefore, we understand how something or somebody could hurt us. And if we understand how somebody could hurt us, then the same is applicable to the next guy. Therefore, we understand how somebody, or in a more sinister way, how we could hurt somebody else. And so the fact of the matter is, we do harm even though we know better. It's a no wonder that so many people feel unworthy to walk with God and therefore reject the idea of him completely. And in this frame of mind, we learn to doubt ourself. And it's this doubt of our self-worth that leads to the lack of care we give to ourselves in the first place. So how would caring for ourselves look like? How would our lives look if we did all the stuff that we should be doing in order to take care of ourselves. 
Well, he proposes a few things. The first being living in truth. Speak the truth and live in it. We must respect the world around us. We must respect others. And finally, we must respect ourselves. In order to do this, we must let go of resentment. We must stop trying to punish people and argue with people. It is not about being right. It's about being at peace and learning. We must strive to make the world a better place. In the ancient times, the world was a very dog-eat-dog kind of place. If people got in the way of what you wanted, you would just kill them. So we've seen a decline of that type of behavior as, as society has been built up in modern day age. But with the decline of that type of murder, we have seen an incline of narcissistic behavior. People who are out for themselves and themselves only. And although there are plenty of people like that out there, there's a vast number of people that have this thing where they overcompensate for this rising level of narcissism in today's day and age. And they overcompensate by becoming a doormat. They're always willing to help other people and go the extra mile for everybody around them, but never once do they do something for themselves. After all, the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But, but perhaps it should really be, treat yourself like you treat others. So this is not just about being kind, but this is about mutual respect. This is about not being a doormat and about two people being the best version of themselves so that they can bring about the best possible outcome together. So life is hard. Give yourself some credit. Let go of the hate, the anger, the resentment and replace it with some gratitude. Gratitude for the fact that you are important to other people, that you have a vital role to play the, in the destiny of the unfolding of the world. It's for these reasons alone that you have to be responsible for taking care of yourself. Stop punishing yourself for being flawed because the fact of the matter is the entire world is flawed. Everybody has shortcomings. We wouldn't punish them for them. Why do we hold ourselves to this different standard? Ask yourself questions like what would my life look like if I were properly taking care of myself? What would your mental and physical health look like? What would your career look like, your education? Adopt a set of principles that mean something to you and learn to articulate them so that you can defend yourself when somebody tries to walk all over you. When you fall short, as you surely will, learn how to carefully discipline yourself and try to avoid the negative self-talk that we are so likely to do. When you make promises to yourself, you must keep them. And when you do, you should reward yourself. 
only by learning to care for yourself properly will you be able to reach your full potential. And only by reaching your full potential will you begin to be able to change the world for the better. So, treat yourself as if you are someone that you are responsible for helping. I hope you guys enjoyed this video and join me next time for rule three. Make friends with people who want the best for you. I'll see you next time and God bless.